Well, it is an amazing joy and uh, just such a delight to welcome you in the room. And there have been so many things changing so many people's lives. Um, it's uh, just a real uh, opportunity for us to catch up and to uh, discover some of those changes that have been happening in people's lives. It's great to see Benny and his new wife, Victoria, joining us. Give us would you stand a moment so we can cheer and welcome you? Welcome. Congratulations to you both. It's wonderful. And um, also, there are people uh, in both services who've joined us in the room, and they've been watching online for quite a while now, but they've never been in the room before. And uh, this is their first time, but they've joined the church, and they're actively part of the church. And we want to give a big welcome to anybody that's either tuning in for the first time or joining us in the room for the first time this morning. Could we give them a clap to welcome? Thank you. In life, there are times when there are great challenges. And there are times when we face needs and circumstances that we may think, how are we going to get out of this? Or how are we going to respond to this need that seems to be bigger than our resource? And I've got a great joy to start a new series this morning entitled, More Than Enough. Our Savior is not just able to do the minimum that is required in order to help us in our time of need. He is more than enough. And we're going to begin this new series that looks at probably one of the most famous psalms. It's a psalm that is usually used at times of loss or times of challenge because it contains great comfort in words. But it also is a psalm that is rich with wonder and promise and joy and reveals to us that God is more than enough. And we're going to look at the first verse of that psalm. I wonder if you guessed which one it is. It's Psalm 23. And in verse 1 in the New Living Translation, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The other translations um, say similar things. The NIV, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The CSB version says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. The shepherd brings to us his followers more than enough. But let me just take a few moments to just ask the question of how do we define what a need is? I have what I need. How do we know what our needs are? Because our needs can be dependent upon our context or our circumstance or our culture or even the time in history that we're living. So right now, some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world will be praying for their need of shelter tonight. And when they are presented with a tent or some material that they can hang between some trees, they give thanks to God for meeting their need. 
And yet, if you said, I need shelter, and we came and brought you a bit of material, you might think we're having a laugh. Because the understanding of how needs are met varies according to context. It may be that on one level we've got someone facing the need of their next meal for sustaining their bodies and their welfare. And another part of the world we've got someone praying that they would have um, more money that month to pay their health insurance or to upgrade their vehicle or to do something else. And all may genuinely understand that the circumstances they face are actually needs because culture sort of sets what that mean average of our need is. But what does it mean here? I have all that I need. Does the Holy Spirit make that adaption to our culture and to our context and to our point in history and say, okay, that's genuinely a need or that's not? No, you're being extravagant there. Is that what he does? Well, as we look at this verse, we're going to see that it's painting a much more significant picture than God being like some vending machine to assist us in the material and the practical things of this world. In fact, you might be aware that there are some um, forms of theology which have a title of prosperity preaching, a prosperity gospel. It teaches that God loves to bless people and therefore he wants to bless you and if you're living under blessing, then there will be increasing things that he'll want to deposit and there'll be increasing ad additions he'll want to bring into your life. That the extension on your home is a sign of the blessing of the Lord and so on. And I want to just put out there this morning that I believe that is way too small a vision, a comparison of what this scripture is saying. Because there is something of that, I believe, error in teaching that builds upon a materialistic paradigm of this world and tries to add God into a paradigm that has its roots in the origins of this world, not of the kingdom of God. Because there's something in this verse that's exposing us to a far bigger vision of God and what he desires to be in our lives. I have all that I need. It's not saying that I have a car, I have a home, I have my meals, I have my direct debits met at the end of the month. This is not what this is saying, though you could quite legitimately maybe categorize some of those as needs. This is saying, not about what we have, but who we have. You see, we're introduced here to the good shepherd. When we know that we live our lives walking alongside the care and the sustenance and the provision and the kindness and the grace of a good shepherd, of the good shepherd. Everything else of this world fails into insignificance in comparison. He's a bigger vision than your extension. He's a bigger vision than your new vehicle. He's a bigger extension than choosing to shop at Waitrose rather than Aldi's. He's a bigger extension than the things that this world offers. 
See, many people are trying to attend to their wants and their needs, and they live their lives in perpetual anxiety. Even when they have more money than they need, there is a sense of a fear and an anxiety that it all could be taken away just like that. God is not calling us to live subject to the things of this world. He is calling us to a bigger vision. A bigger vision that has no anxieties about the things of this world because I am with the good shepherd. But let's be honest, because one of our key absolute imperative values here at Rediscover is that we're authentic about our faith. We don't want to just sing songs that don't reflect reality. We don't want to say amen to truths that we would love to be our experience, but they're not. Let's be honest. You and I have some anxieties about the things of this world, don't we? We have concerns about attending to the needs and the things that surround us. We have anxieties about losing those things that we have. We have insecurities in our lives. And that's because we have been cultured by this world. We have been taught, we've been educated by the values and the paradigms of this world that we live in. But when we come to faith in Jesus, we're called to not be of this world. To be in it, but not of it. And that's not just a challenge to say no to this world. That is a challenge to a bigger vision to say yes to the good shepherd. And I want this morning to look at how you and I can grow in our understanding and our authentic faith to know that the good shepherd meets all of our needs. And I want to talk about our minds because one of the reasons why I believe we still have anxieties and we still have concerns about the things of this world and we still worry about tomorrow is because, as I mentioned, the culture of this world has invaded our, our thinking and our minds, but it's also because we walk with the Good Shepherd as a stranger rather than an intimate friend. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about do you know him as a savior, I'm not asking, has he forgiven you of your sins? Salvation is but a gift that comes to those who will repentantly come before him and plead upon him for his grace and his mercy, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess. Our salvation is because of his gift. But what I am saying is that so many believers start off that introduction to the good shepherd as the savior, as the life giver, as the redeemer, as the restorer, as the liberator of their lives. But they go through the rest of their lives still essentially seeing him as a new person in their life, as a stranger when they were designed to be intimately knowing him and growing in relationship with him. And our minds are really significant for this. You know, we're not called to throw out our brains and our minds when we come to Jesus. But our minds, and I'm not just talking about our intellect and our place of knowledge and understanding, although it does involve that, but I'm 
drawing the picture of the mind in some of the same way that the scriptures will sometimes interplay between mind and heart. Basically, it's the center and the core of our being. It's the place of imagination. It's the place of consideration. It's the place of comprehension. It's the place of understanding. It's the place where we explore and we make decisions about the things that we do in life. Our minds. Our minds are like a faith interface. Our minds are the place where we comprehend, we grab hold of, and we make decisions to step forward in our lives. Now, if you are living a life that feels full of lack, it would be so easy I could draw some comparisons and show how no matter how much need you have, that you're within the top 2% of people in the world of the haves. If you've got running water, if you've got a roof over your head, if you've got clothes you're standing in, we're, in a very, we're very rich compared to the vast majority of the world. But I'm not talking about, say, trying to convince you that your perception of lack is actually one of abundance in comparison to others because I have met people over the years who have vast wealth and still have a deep sense of lack in their lives. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's about our understanding of who is with us. It's whether our lives are filled by the systems of this world or they're filled with something else. We know that in Christ, when the Good Shepherd is our intimate friend, that there is more than enough. Our minds, our faith and reality interface, a mind filled with the things of this world, cannot enact faith. I want you to hear that. If you are faced with a need, and you're full of the systems, the thoughts, the anxieties, and the fears, and the ambitions, and the desires of this world, you can't be that righteous prayer the scripture talks about, availeth much. Now, our prayers of faith are not based upon us and our power and us earning anything from God. It's always an answer comes because of his power, because of his miraculous provision, because of his goodness. But faith requires that we know him and we know what he can do. See, too many people pray based on looking at the need and shooting up some arrows of prayer to heaven and saying, I hope you hear this, God. It's a bit like um, the other day I, I wrote to um, the, leader of the, the leader of the Labour Party about something that he'd done that I felt was wrong. He apologized for visiting a church because of some of their views, and, and I wanted to send a letter. So I, I sent a letter to him, or I sent an email to him um, that I'd put lots of work into the content and consideration and the way that I addressed this. But I've got no idea if he read it. In fact, it's probably one of his team read it. It's probably already gone in the delete tray on his email inbox folder. Um, and the point I'm making is not about that position or that political thing, but it's some people regard their prayers like that. They put a lot of work into them. They become very eloquent. They list them out very articulate but they've got no idea whether they get to God. 
And a prayer of faith knows it's not about the complexity of your words or the length of your email. It's about knowing that God hears it. It's about knowing that it arrives directly to God. It's not putting an SOS in the bottle and throwing it in the sea and thinking, I hope someone finds it. It is absolutely knowing beyond the shadow of doubt that the good shepherd has got this. He's with you. He is more than able and it's gone directly to him. And if your mind is full of the things of this world, you won't know whether that's got there. There'll be an ambiguity in your understanding. So it's not about your eloquence, but it's about knowing, comprehending, understanding in your mind who God is. Let's look at some people that the Apostle Paul referenced who had gone away from the life that God had for them because of the state and the conditions of their mind. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 18 says these words. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. God's not given us a spirit of confusion. He's given us love, power, and a sound mind. Verse 18, it says, Their minds are full of darkness, full of the things of this world, full of all this world offers. And they wander far from the life God gives because they have, what? Closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. There's a link between confusion, darkness, and closed minds in the body of Christ. And these had wandered away from the life that God has designed for them. The good shepherd has made a commitment to us to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us, but they don't understand. They'd closed their minds to understanding his capacity, his power, his strength, his might, his sustenance, his hope, his redemption, his restoration, his peace. They had closed their minds and hardened their hearts. And he desires to fill our minds and our lives with himself. Matthew's gospel chapter 4 verse 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone. I love bread. I don't need anything on it. I don't need butter. I don't need jam. I don't need any nice filling. Just give me a fresh loaf of bread and I am happy. The smell, the aroma. But Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, bread is matter. It's physical matter. That when I put it into my body, my body digests it, and it burns it and turns it into energy. God's word is energy. God's word is life. God's word comes into our life, into our minds, and the energy of God's word transforms itself into matter in us. It changes things. It changes circumstances. It changes predicaments. Because his word is alive. God's word brings life. And when his words fill our minds, 
We act on it. And it brings about heaven's reality. And so those doing the daily reading plan at the moment will have seen that the author of this plan was saying that he's seen many times people see someone who is ill and they look at them and they send an email to heaven and say, God, it would be really nice if this person was well, but they've got no idea if God gets the email. And they're looking at the earthly problem and hoping that God will add something to heal it. But the author said, we need to go into those situations and see heaven's answer and bring heaven's answer to earth. It's a bit like a few years ago when we upgraded to these cameras that have been such a blessing over this time, haven't they? It's been so great that we were so um, blessed by being ahead of some of that stuff with online church over this last year and will continue to grow in that area, by the way. This is not the end of online church. We are um, just blessed to see people connecting with us from all over the world. We've had membership application from Trinidad. We've had people join us on our welcome tea from Liverpool. There are people who consider to be part of our church from Shrewsbury. There are people all over the country who are now considering Rediscover to be part of their church. And good morning to you and welcome and we love you and we pray God's blessing upon your life. But when we, when we got these cameras, that, that the ability of the image that they were able to capture was actually of a higher quality than some of the software that we had to be able to process it. So nice cameras, the image had to be compromised and squeezed down in order to be able to process through all of the software systems. And you have an interface that is um, a descaler. It lowers the quality so it can be sent out. But then as we began to upgrade other equipment, there were some parts of our camera system then that there were some of the older cameras that weren't as good quality. And we can't have the software processing two different qualities of image. So we had to buy things called an upscaler. And an upscaler took a lower quality image and tried to improve it so that it brought it up to the same digital level to be able to go into the software to be able to be sent out. And I believe in many ways that in our minds and in our lives, that we have an opportunity to be an upscale or a downscale. You see, what I see many people doing, and they think this is faith, they see the need, and they get on their knees, and they say, God, this is such a big need, but you know, we, we're going to filter it to you now, and we hope that somehow this will get to you. And they're always trying to upscale the thing to God, but they're, in, but they're enamored by the problem. But I believe that God has called his church to help take what's the richest quality of heaven and to be the interface of faith to bring it to earth and to lives and circumstances. And so when we pray for someone who is unwell, someone who's sick, we don't say, oh God, this is such a big issue. Would you please, you know, hear our prayers and maybe do something? We go to heaven and we Say, God, you are more than able to do this. What do you want to say into this, God? And we pray heaven's truth and revelation into their lives. And I believe that's faith. When you walk into a room later on this evening and it begins to get dark outside and it's lovely to see again darker and ever such um, you know, an increase in later part of the evening, you don't go into your living room and then 
get on your knees and say, I really, really hope this light switch works. If you do have to do that with your light switch, call an electrician, won't you? It's dangerous. No, why don't you do that? Because you have an understanding that the system, even if you don't know much about electric, even if you don't understand the, the basic understanding of how the wiring works, you still know that it works. And when you press that light switch, you don't suddenly go, wow, it worked. Phone up some people, you never guess what happened. I pressed the light switch and the light came on. Wasn't that amazing? You don't do that because you know that's what the light switch does. You know, all too often, there are those of us, if that light switch is like our faith, that when it works, we get surprised. You never guess what happened. God actually answered a prayer. Wow! That highlights that there's something wrong in our understanding of how, who God is and how he works. That shows that our minds are probably more full of the stuff of this world than they are the stuff of heaven. Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask, think, or imagine. Because the good shepherd is more than enough. And he's with us. And he walks wherever we go. And you take the good shepherd into work with you. He's in your home. And there have been many wonderful lessons we've learned during this lockdown period I'm glad that people have discovered that Jesus doesn't live on Northern Hayes Street in our building. He lives in his people in your homes. He lives in his people in your workplaces, in your university halls. He lives with you. And the good shepherd is able to do everything in those places that he can do in this place here. But he calls our minds to be filled with a comprehension of who he is and what he can do. Hebrews 11 verse 1 puts it this way, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. See, our minds comprehend the greatness of our God and our faith steps out and switches the light switch and God works. He calls his people to partner with him to bring heaven into this world. I know, I know we go through seasons in life where, and, and I know our emotions have been all over the place over this last year. There have been some days I found, I'm a really positive person, I'm a real optimist, but there have been some times I found really tough. I know that people have suffered with all forms of anxiety and mental health challenges and emotional burnout and all sorts of difficulties over this last year. And I'm not trying to be unsympathetic and I'm not trying to be lacking in understanding and care for people who are navigating those very real and those very difficult seasons. But I do believe, church, that we should be people that turn up in our world 
as good news. That we change atmospheres. If people feel more depressed after they spend time with you, something needs to change. Now, if it's a season, if it's difficulty going on, maybe you need to see the doctor, you need to talk to a counselor, get it sorted, don't live with it as an unredeemable situation that you can't find any hope for. So yeah, there are times we need to lean on others and find strength and support. But church, we're meant to be good news, to be life and hope, even in our brokenness, even in the mess of our lives. We're a church of messes, aren't we? You scared to say yes? We are. I could go around this room now and share brokenness with a whole bunch of people. I could share brokenness about my own life. We're people that it's not the eloquence of our words. It's not the wonder of our experience. It's about the greatness of the shepherd. He's our good shepherd. That's why we can be filled with joy, church. And I'm not saying, and I know I feel like I'm swinging between two parts here, but, you know, society needs us to lament right now about the pain and the difficulty and the challenge and to grieve alongside others and care for them and love them through difficulty, not to dismiss them. But at the same time, we are people of hope and we're people of good news and we're people of joy, people who carry the peace of the good shepherd with our lives. But our minds need not be closed, but to be filled with the goodness of God. Philippians, so John chapter 4, verse 31 to 34. I love this engagement with the disciples with Jesus. It says this, the disciples were urging Jesus. Rabbi, we've just been to Tesco Express and we've got a meal deal for you. It's your favorite, Jesus. Sorry we got pork last time and that was a mistake. This chicken... And, um, and stuffing is your favorite. Jesus, here's a packed lunch for you. And we've got those McCoy salt and vinegar crisps that you loved. Eat something, Jesus. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. What? Has someone gone and got a better packed lunch for him and not told us? Is he smuggled food in under his cloak and not identified it to us? What do you mean you've got food that we know about? Uh, it's one of, those, one of those groupies, Jesus. Have they been to Waitrose and got a better one for you? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Disciples asking each other, what is this food? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from finishing his work. Lives of faith require nourishment from heaven. We require a different sort of food to sustain us. We require our minds to be filled with different sustenance to the things that come from this world. Faith 
And the result of faith is not where you get more things. It's about where you get more comprehension of God and his greatness and the shepherd's reality in your life. And you live your life realizing that everything else is but a shadow in comparison. The good shepherd's with you. He's actually with you. Can you believe that? Is he crazy? He's with you. Oh, you look so unexcited about that. Is it disbelief? Is it, is it a dissidence between a theological understanding of it but not a reality of it? Let me tell you, he is really with you. He is really filling our lives. He is really walking with us. He is really able to sustain us. And this is what Paul refers to, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians 4. Verse 11, it says this, Not that I was ever in need. Whoa, Paul, we know you've been shipwrecked. We know you've been persecuted. We know that you've been arrested. Surely you can say that you have been in need at some point. He said, not that I was ever in need. For I have learnt how to be content with whatever I have. Paul wasn't given some theory here on how to learn to live with less. He was saying that he's learned to live with more. Hallelujah. More of God. Yeah. More of the good shepherd. Jesus, he was saying, is more than enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I pray that as we dig into this in the weeks ahead, that we will open our minds to have a deeper understanding of the fullness of God. To know the joy and the power and the life of the good shepherd where everything else fades in comparison to him. I pray that we will learn to activate the switches of faith in our lives regularly, not just when we've tried every other option, that we wouldn't see our activation of faith as those moments of hoping we send an email to someone and hoping that they open it, but we will know we have God's full attention. And I pray in the weeks ahead, we will know an abundance of heaven breaking through in our lives and in the lives of those we meet and come in contact with. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. We're called to be people of faith, not just saved, not just sons and daughters of God, but people of faith. And the world right now needs a faith-filled church like never before. But let's start with your own needs. Let's start with the dissidence that there may be within your own life, the gap between your expressions of I have all that I need 
and some of those things that you're aware of that you have needs. If you're watching from home and you're ill, I'm going to ask maybe you place your hand on a part of the body where your illness is more pertinent. And I'm going to ask as you do that, that you say, God, I thank you that you're my shepherd. I have all that I need. You can heal me. And if you're in the room, I'm going to ask if you have a physical need in your life to stand. And your standing is the activation of your faith. It's the response. It's the, I believe in the good shepherd. I believe that in him, I find answers. I find more than enough in him. These switches now are getting the attention of God, the attention of eternity. It's not the eloquence of how we did that. It's not the eloquence of how we stood or the words that we articulate. It's the, it's the significance that the good shepherd is with you now. And all those at home and all those in the room, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will know the tenderness of the good shepherd coming and pouring his oil all over you right now. May the oil of anointing and healing flow over your bodies. The top of your head, the soles of your feet, be healed. He is more than enough. I sense now that there are some of you who have been really deeply burdened and there's a little tickle in your tummy that you almost feel like a laughter and a joy around this. And for you, that, some of that revelation that he is more than enough. It's a joy that comes from knowing who is walking with you, who is accompanying you. He, the good shepherd, is more than enough. Oh, beautiful Jesus. Holy Spirit. So wish I could walk around this room now and hug each person. But I know that you are doing that. Just come and embrace them. It's precious people at home. Lord, let those prayers of faith rise up. And miracles, lights come on. Let's step out in comprehension of their good Savior. Now, I know that we can't really um, invite people to move around the room and we can't invite people to turn around and break social distancing norms and so on. Um, but that's okay. We'd love to do that, but that's okay. That's just the part of the season, the adaptability we're in for this season. But I'm going to ask that we do just look around the room and stretch out our arms to those who are stood. And I'm going to just ask you to make this confession over their lives. Jesus, you are more than enough. You can heal every disease. You can change every circumstance. In Jesus' name. Doesn't need to be loud. Doesn't need to be demonstrative. It's not about the length of our email. It's about knowing that he hears it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Healing power flow now. Miracles of grace and provision. If you are in a bubble with someone, feel free to just physically just join with them. 
it's fine. If you're watching at home and there's more than one of you in the room, find the other person, just get alongside them and just stand with them and say, Jesus is more than enough. And we empty our minds now, Father, of the hardness of heart. We empty our minds of the things of this world. We empty our minds with the aspirations and the desires of earthly living. And we say, Lord Jesus, we want your word to be alive in us, Lord. We want to be filled with faith, filled with your goodness. Hallelujah. Just while you continue to just receive, wait upon the Lord. If you're watching online or you're in the room and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He knows you. He loves you. He's known you since before you were even born. And He's loved you more than you'll ever understand. And it's that love that took him, His Son Jesus to the cross to give His life, to pay the price for your failures. you to experience the liberation of freedom from all of that shame. The Bible says if we confess our sins, our failures, our shame, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you want to give your life to Jesus and receive His mercy, you pray this after me and it goes like this. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. Even in the mess of my life, you still love me. I ask that you forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that's possible. Please remove my shame and my failure and my mistakes. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit that I might know you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in the room and you prayed that for the first time or to come back to God, if you're watching online and you prayed that as a, as a dedicated prayer to God to receive Him, then online would you just tell our online pastors in the chat and they would be delighted to help you and follow that up with you. In the room, come and speak to one of us after. We'd love to pray with you and give you some information that will help you. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your beauty and your goodness. Hallelujah. It's the band lead us in this final song that says, Great are you, Lord. I encourage you to stand and to make it your declaration that God, the good shepherd, is with me and he's great and he's mighty. Let's sing this together before we close.